0: morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse
1: 26. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God and just allowing us to know you and just come together, Father God, and just worship and focus on you, God. Keep you at the center of our mind, God. Let us always to focus on you and adore you and truly worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're we'll continuing talking about being made in the image of God. And last week we talked about how the image of God That we're patterned after the image of God that God formed us after is Christ himself. Christ is the image of God. And so we're going to take it a step farther in thinking about this. Since Christ is the image of God. And we're made after the image of God. The logical conclusion is, is we're supposed to be like Christ. But in that pursuit to be like Christ, what should be our focus? should we focus on more so on the deeds and the acts of Christ to understand how we're supposed to live in this world? Or should we focus more so on what does that mean when it comes to our being? So which one is more important, our being or our doing? And that's what we're going to look at a little bit and just try to flesh and just get this deeper down in our mind. What does it mean that we are the image of God? And we're patterned after the image of God. So let's read our foundation of verses again in Genesis one twenty-six and 27. It said, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So Now we're going to try to take this and and take a little journey throughout the scripture. But the thing I want you to notice is just like with all of God's creation. God created man. He named him. Man, and he gave the pattern of him after the image of God. And it's only after doing that that he begins to give man work. He begins to give him function. And it's my proposition today that that's the way God wants us to understand our lives and our existence. We live in a world in this high-class American society where we have a pressure and there's a great push. And everybody is striving for significance. Everybody wants to be somebody special. And it's not too often that you meet a person and you introduce yourself to a person <clears throat> where they begin to try to size you up and begin to class you and put you in the proper category so they know how to relate to you. And in our society, that goes down to where you work. And that's code for trying to figure out how much money you make. Where you live and where a car you drive. Those are the basic functions of identity for us in this American society. That's why people ask you when they meet you, what's your name? My name's Zink. Where you work at? And it goes on and on and on. Oh, you from around here? Yeah. What about you group live up? They're all trying to figure out the same thing. Figure out where to class you. And the amazing thing is in the commercialization of our society, It has seeped in, whether or not we're conscious of it or not, into our evaluation of ourselves. To where sometimes in certain settings, in certain situations around certain people, we be ashamed of certain aspects of ourselves. Because as we look around our peers and as we see and we reflect on our lives and our accomplishments, we don't seem to have gotten what we're supposed to have gotten by this time in our lives. And so that begins to dictate how we view ourselves. And then you see it in a more subtle way that once you reach a certain level of accomplishments with jobs and careers and houses and certain that stuff, you have a, a greater level of confidence in talking and communing and relating to people. It, it gives you a better oomph about yourself when you can say that, I know I got this much money in the bank, I know I make this much money, I work at this place. It means something to us. And the way that fleshes out in our lives is we begin to find our significance By our actions and what we do in this world. And that's how we gauge how effective we are when it comes to life and relationships and everything about ourselves. And that's why we live in a highly suicidal society. With all the mass shootings, all that foolishness going on, suicide still killing more people. People are dying. People are dissatisfied. The vast majority of adults have no peace, no joy, no contentment until Friday. Their life sucks all the way until Friday. And that only lasts for a little bit because Sunday their life begins sucking again because they realize they got to go back to work again. And God help the people who do shift work and, and, and flipping up and down schedules. You don't know how long your life going to suck because it might suck for three days, one day two days, another day, then six days sometimes because you don't know when you're going to be off. <laughs> and all we're living for is that time of peace, that time where we can quote-unquote do what we enjoy doing because our normal living don't bring any value to ourselves. And many of us have had times and have thoughts where we question our existence whether or not we worth anything, whether or not our lives have any value, because when we think about it, we can point to Brother Jay doing this, Sister So-and-so doing that. I ain't doing nothing. All
0: I am is just a mama. And I ain't doing
1: that well. So, I ain't that great. And we become Eeyores on the down low. Woe is me. <laughs> Is always raining. And then we can't see or we don't understand how it is that we have such a hard time with joy. But the Bible talks about all this joy. And it is my goal in this thing to just try to flip our mind a little bit. And in our strivings and in our presence, we're not striving to do, we're striving to be. And like I said, the pattern that God gave forth, when he made man, he made him something. Then based off him being that something, he gave him a job. But the only way man can have dominion, the only way man can keep the garden was man to be in the image of God. If he tried to have dominion first, it wouldn't work because he had to have all the everything that it takes to do it inside of him first. So the primary thing is for us to be before we start trying to do certain things. And we, let's just watch the journey and we, we, we flesh it out.
0: Take a short stop in in the book of Exodus.
1: In the book of Exodus, we're going to go meet Moses on the mountain, receiving the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. So in Exodus chapter 20, we meet with Moses. Moses meeting up on the mountain with God. And God laying down all the law. But we're going to zone in on verse 1, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Said, and God spake all these words saying I am the Lord thy God which shall brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage thou shalt have no other gods before me now the thing that always sticks out to me when I read this is the introduction how God set this thing up the reason he told them that they could not have any other gods and all the other stuff that proceeded from this is because of their relation to him, y'all, y'all do you see that the children of Israel was in slavery for four hundred years. God sent Moses to be the deliverer, and the amazing thing that most people don't highlight when they look at this because we think the Old Testament. see in the Old Testament, they were saved by works, in the New Testament we saved by grace. See, God had gave them all the laws and all the rules so they can do right, and then they can be the people of God. That's a lie. God sent Moses to be the deliverer. And when God sent Moses to be the deliverer, the only thing God told Moses was that he was the God of Israel. He was the God of Abraham. He was the God of Isaac. That's all he revealed to him then he told him his name so when moses went back to the people the only thing he had to tell them about god was not what they should do not how they should live not how they should order themselves and how bad they have been for these 400 years but who god was that's the only information he had for them who god was and what god was about to do that's the message that moses went back to egypt to preach He revealed Yahweh to the people and he revealed the plan of Yahweh. And this is way after God destroyed all the enemies of the Israelites. God had brought them through a whole bunch of trials. They thought they were going to die multiple times. And he got them on this place, on this mountain. And it's only after all that revelation of who he is that he begins to pour out his law. So he had to get them to a place where they can see and know him before he got them to a place where they can do what he wanted them to do y'all seeing what i'm saying so when he opens up his commandments the first thing he telling him is repeating what he told Moses, who he was i am the lord your god that brought you up out of egypt therefore thou shall have no other gods before me so it was because of what god did and because of what who god was that they had to live a certain way But I want you to understand that the primary thing was for them to understand who God was in their relationship to him. That he was their God. He was the one that was working on their behalf. And it works the same way in our lives. Y'all get what I'm saying? So in our pursuit, in our trying to be Christian, in our trying to live right, the first thing we need to try to do is understand who we are in relationship to God. Because that's the way God works in delivering his people. Well, let's flesh it on out a little more. Like I said, we're going to take a short little journey. Go to uh Romans, one of my favorites.
0: Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll start at verse 9. This is
1: one of my favorites. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwelling you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But it's the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelling you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through, the, but if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds, of the body, you shall live. For as, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now in this chain, and we can go all the way back really to chapter six, Paul is making a point. Now, I I just wanted to point out and notice this. In verse 12, he gives a therefore. We are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. So this flesh, this carnal nature, this evil thing that dwells inside of human beings, that the thing that is hated and loathed by God, he said, we don't have to live after that. You have no obligation to live according to your flesh. You can stop it. But why? That's why he put the therefore in front of it. It's because of all of the stuff he said before. So since you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the spirit, and the spirit of God dwelleth in you, You don't have to live according to the flesh. But the thing I want you to notice is that it's the thing that God did that gets you to the place to do what you're supposed to do. Who took you out of the flesh? God did. He came down on the cross destroying the deeds that were contrary to you. He did that. Who put the spirit inside of you? God did. All you had to do Was be what God said that you are. And once the reality of who Christ is. Is made real to you. You realize you don't have to live according to the flesh. Chapter 6 was talking about we need to reckon ourselves dead. Because when we were baptized we died with Christ. So he said reckon yourselves to be dead. All he's saying is understand this. Come to this conclusion that you are dead. So the life of me wrestling and struggling with this flesh and my victory over it begins with my understanding of what it is that I am because of what it is that Christ has done. I'm no longer in the flesh. Now a preacher man might tell you, see, you got two natures inside of you because your soul gets saved, your spirit gets saved, but your flesh don't get saved.
0: That's what they are gonna tell you. And that sound
1: deep. And if we think about our experience, it sound real true. Because we see times of regu- wrestling. We see times where stuff that shouldn't be in there show itself up. And we be like, that, that, that old sin nature. That's that flesh. Then we be telling folks when we going off, like y'all, see, y'all make me get all in my flesh up in here. <laughs> But if what God did is really true, you're no longer in the flesh.
0: You just got to believe that.
1: And all you got to do is be a person that's not in the flesh anymore. So it ain't your job to strive and to fight and try to figure out tips and strategies to defeat and suppress your fleshly nature. You ain't got to do that. All you got to do is believe that God did what he said he did and be what God created you to be. And that's the spiritual man in the image of God. Because when Christ was on this planet being the image of God, he can say boldly that the tempter come, but he ain't got nothing in me. And if we're supposed to be where he is, we should be able to say the same thing. Temptation coming. It's all around me. I lived in a crazy and jacked up world, but that stuff ain't got nothing in me. It ain't got nothing to do with me because I'm a brand new person. But the thing I want you to understand is start with our understanding of this and believing this is who we are. Let's get to the place where we know that we are the image of God, which means we're supposed to be just like Jesus. And if we be that, all this other stuff don't matter. Y'all getting what I'm saying? Let me show it to you again. many places we can go? Go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Just picking some of my favorites along the way.
0: Ephesians chapter 5. We're
1: going to start at verse 6. Ephesians 5, 6. But before we go, just just think about it. When you get time, try to read this whole book in one sitting. Because this entire book really is an exposition of what I'm trying to demonstrate. Because you go through that whole first chapter. All it's talking about is who you are and what Christ did. Your relationship to him. Then it begins to transition in chapter two and it puts a little more flesh on it about who you are now in comparison to what you used to be. Then it transitions all the way in, then it gets down to chapter five and it started to get real practical. But it's been the whole first two, three, four chapters telling you about what Christ did, who you are in him. Then it tells you how to live. Because if what he did is true, you live a certain way. But then we're just getting a, a blip, blip of it. Watch this. In verse, six it said, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things. Which are done of them in secret. This is a beautiful little piece. Stop now. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Now. If you read back to the beginning of that chapter. Paul is telling you all the stuff that you don't supposed to be doing. Because you're supposed to be following God. Talks Talk about whoremongering and filthiness and foolish talking and all that other stuff and being covetous you ain't supposed to be participating in that but I like how he set this up. He said, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So the idea is, is there are some people that's doing these things and living in these certain ways, but they're preaching and they're teaching some things that could possibly lead you to believe that these things does not bring the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So it's possible for you to be a whoremonger and not be under the wrath of God. It's possible for you to be a covetous person and not be under the wrath of God. That's what he's saying. Don't let nobody trick you. So there's ideas floating in the day of Paul that it's possible to be these things, to live these ways, and not be under the wrath of God. And I was just thinking, listening on the radio the other day, I was talking about uh, one of them TV shows, The Bachelorette, or The Bachelor, one of them. But it's the lady, whatever one got the lady that's on there. Bachelorette. Huh? The bachelor? With well, the lady? Yeah, the lady the main thing. It's the bachelorette. Now they say the lady that's on there, she going on there to quote unquote get a husband or whatever the show supposed to be. From what these people were saying, I never watched it, that this lady has an open testimony of being a Christian. She open with it. She ain't ashamed of it. She believes in God. She is a Christian. While at the same time, she has an open testimony of being free in her relationships. That she tests and she tries and she lives just like everybody else do. That's a heathen when it comes to dating and all the other stuff. But she believes that she's a Christian, a child of God on her way to heaven. And see no contradiction in the fact that she's sleeping around openly because somebody done tricked her and made her believe that it's possible to be a whoremonger and not be under the wrath of God. That's what she been. Like that, that's, that's what she been. And you say, well, she's not being a whoremonger because whoremongers are like
0: prostitutes. Huh? Yeah, but think about it
1: she has took her sexual exploitation in her pursuit of a date and did what dude went on TV to make some money and to make other people money <laughs> that sound like what the pimps do too <laughs> maybe I'm being a little too literal with this thing But the idea that we're pointing at is the fact that there's some teaching, there's some talk out there that can make you believe that. He's saying, don't let that be. But in verse 7, he said, be you not, therefore partakers with them. So not only don't you let them trick you, you don't participate in their activities. So you're separated from these people. Why? Verse 8, for you were sometime darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. So what is Paul is saying is we don't participate in these activities. We don't live the way these people live. Not because we got to try real hard because God going to come and get us if we mess up. No, because that ain't who we are. You were sometimes darkness. So when you were that, it was okay for you to be that. That's what you supposed to been doing. You ain't that no more. Now are you light in the Lord? So because of who you are, certain activities that you can't participate in. Now some folk gonna tell you we got liberty and freedom in Christ and they being legalistic. They lying.
0: Certain things you just don't do.
1: It's because of who you are. Y- y'all, y'all getting the picture and we understand this in certain aspects and respect. We would understand completely if we were to walk in to some big business, Fortune 500 company, with the CEO, and he was to see a trash can full and walk right by and go and tell somebody to dump that. We wouldn't think nothing crazy of that at all. Like, you work here too, why you can't dump the trash? That wouldn't even enter in our mind. Because we believe that he reached a level where he too good to be dumping trash. Yo, you understand what I'm saying? And when certain people not participating in certain activities we have to say and we give them that respect. Man, he shouldn't be doing that. Even down to the point where when we see certain people driving in certain cars. Like, why are he driving that car? Don't he got a million dollars? What he doing around here in the Honda? Might be what he like. But the idea is that certain people have reached a certain level that certain activities are cut off from them. But what I'm telling you is because of who you are, certain activities are cut off from you. They are beneath you. They are contrary to your identity and the dignity that God has given you. So my young ladies, you're single, you serving God and you love the Lord. And a young man come up and he trying to talk to you and you showing him off and he might tell you what you think, you're too good. You can't say, yes I am. <laughs> because you are too good for that. Because the man who you have given your life to gave up his life for you. He was willing to commit all to humiliate himself just so he can be with you.
0: And you willing to compromise that for some dude who
1: can barely talk <laughs> can only express himself through text messages. <laughs> who ain't willing to walk you across the street when it raining?
0: And you willing to forsake the dude who gave
1: up his life for the dude who don't even care nothing about you. So you don't have to humble yourself and explain yourself and get all explicit. No, you ain't gotta do all that. You can't say, yes, I am too good for that. You must don't know who I am. You are light in the Lord. Certain things are cut off from you. Certain relationships you cannot have. Watch this. Go, go. Go to, go to Corinthians. Y'all to mess me up now.
0: <laughs> go to Corinthians. Go to Corinthians
1: chapter 6. Yeah, we're going to do both for them. Watch, watch them. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter six. Chapter six, verse 15. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 15. It said, know you not that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body. For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. Which you have of God. And you are not your own for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body in, in your spirit. Which are God's. You, you see the, the the understanding of Paul's thought here. We reach the conclusion that you're supposed to glorify God with your body. Why are you supposed to glorify God with your body? Not just because it's a good rule and it's a good thing to do. Because your body belongs to him. So your relationship with God dictates the life that you live. And he got that to get to the conclusion that we're supposed to flee from fornication. Because of who we are. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter
0: 6. Paul will be preaching sometime.
1: 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. Said, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement have the temple of God with idols, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, said the Lord Almighty. That's that's deep. So Paul took this thing deep now. Certain relationships we can't be in. Say, so be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So it's the idea that we can't be hooked and connected and bound to an unbeliever. Say so that's an unequal yoke. An idea of yoke, y'all probably heard it, what do you the little big heavy thing they put on the oxen to help them stay together so you can till the field. It's like you ain't supposed to be locked in walking step and step with an unbeliever. And why is that, Paul? Because Paul, like, he couldn't understand. Like, what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? What agreement is there? What union, what sharing is there between righteousness and unrighteousness? They don't get along. That's part of the reason. But you are what? You are the righteousness of Christ. So the way that you live, the life that you live cuts you off for certain yokes and certain bondages that you can't be with certain people. What if he fine? Let me see what Paul say about
0: what if he fine? I don't see that one enough.
1: What if he real nice and he know how to treat me? Let me see what Paul said about that there. Y'all see something about fine men that are real nice and know how to treat people? I ain't read that verse. We gonna keep reading. And maybe, maybe it'll come up later it's about fine men that are real nice and know how to treat people. You think that make a difference? You don't think that make a difference? If he's real fine and really know how to treat you, and he just so nice and talk so sweet to you and make you feel like a lady, you think that guy got, got something different? I don't think they got nothing to do with it. Because they keep going. He said, what communion have light with darkness? What are you? You light. If he a sinner, he walking in what? Darkness. It's like, what communion is there? How can them two have fellowship? How can they get along? Light dispel darkness. So they don't go the same direction. So you cannot be in step in committing yourself to something, or committing yourself to someone that ain't that, that ain't in the same thing. Let's see what other reason he gave. He said, "What kind of concord have Christ with Belial, or what part hath the believer with an infidel?" So what type of union have Christ with Belial? Now, why he brought up Jesus? He was talking about us, right? Why in the world did he bring up
0: Jesus? Huh? That's a good question. Why, why, why did he bring up Christ?
1: What did Christ got to do with this whole thing? He's talking about me. I understand righteousness. I understand light. But what did Christ got to do with this picture? We're talking about relationship and the fine man that treat me real nice. Let's keep going though. So 16. in what agreement have the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. So the reason we come out from among them and be ye separate is why? Because we are the temple of God. That's the reason why. So we don't abstain for certain lifestyles. We don't abstain and cut ourselves off from certain relationships because it's unhealthy. That ain't why we do it. We don't do it because it's not beneficial to our ministry and our testimony. No, that that ain't why we do it. That's not our motivation. We don't do it because we don't want to get a bad reputation and people look at us. No, that's not why we do what we do. The reason we come out from among them and be you separate is because we are the temple of God and God's temple is what? Holy. So it's because of who I am that dictates what i do so my focus and my understanding should not be the secondary because if i get the primary right the secondary gonna fall in part so i need to focus on being the temple of god i need to focus on being holy and if i get that all that other stuff gonna fall into place because the only reason i come out is because i'm a temple the only reason i separate myself is because i'm devoted to god the only reason i can't have relationship with those who are I can't be unequally yoked with those who are not Christians, with those who do not love God. It's because I'm a lover of God. So it won't work. It cannot work because that ain't who I am. But we got to get it in our mind and understand that it's all about who we are. Being dictates our doing. That's why we do what we do because of what Christ has made us. Are y'all you you you're getting the picture? What I'm saying. So we don't fornicate because we're not trying to get pregnant out of wedlock. That's what the church folk tell you. So you don't want no shame your family with a baby. I mean, some of y'all done been the purity group, and they spend thirty minutes telling you about all the STDs and all the stuff bad stuff that's out there. So y'all need to do what the Bible says because God was trying to protect you when He gave us them commandments. That's what He was trying to do. God wouldn't kill joy. He's a loving father that's trying to protect you. I don't see that nowhere in the Bible. God said because of what well, who I am, you need to do what I say. And now Paul is telling us because of who you are, you need to forsake some of the stuff that you think is cool and some of the stuff that the rest of the world is doing. It ain't got nothing to do with your protection. Will it protect you? Yeah. But that ain't why we do it. Because if you figure out a way to protect yourself in doing it, that gives you the okay to what? to do it and that's why we got the mess that we got now that's why you got preachers and pastors who soon as their daughters come of age they take
0: them down there to put them on the pill like hold up
1: preacher man so the thing you really worried about is that your daughter going to get pregnant? That's why you got preachers and pastors who going to preach to you and tell you that we believe in life. We're pro-life. And we fight for the right of children to live. That's good. We agree with that. But soon they find out they own daughter pregnant, they be down at the clinic. They just skip town and go down there. Because it ain't about who they are. It's about the identity that they didn't put on for these folks. It ain't about their love and devotion to their daughters. It's about the identity they put on for them folks. We don't want to be them type of people. So we cannot compromise who we are. And so that has to be our main motivation. Because if we got any other motivation than our love and our relationship to Christ, it's going to be easy for you to compromise. Because you can find and you can justify just about anything. You can find some reason and some rationale that will allow you to do just about anything on this planet. But one thing that would not allow you to do anything on this planet is if you understand who you are in your relationship with God in the union that you have with him because you would know and understand that certain thing God ain't cool with. And when if I'm in it, he in it because he with me. And certain things is beneath me because I have been elevated. I have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 it said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. This is who you are. So we seek and we pursue certain things because of where we are and who we are. It's you hidden. You've been risen with Christ. You've been raised up. You've been elevated above this world. So your desires, your affections are pointed at things that are above this world. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Don't set your affections on the things of the earth. Why? Because you're dead. So it's because of who you are that dictates how we live on this planet. So we're not driven by the same things that the world is driven by. We're not motivated motivated by the same things that motivate the rest of the world. That's why the rest of the world can't figure us out. Because they can't find our motivation because our
0: motivation ain't here on this planet.
1: I'm not trying to be good so I can be a moral person and get some pats on the back so everybody can say he's a nice guy. No, that don't motivate me. Because it's some stuff that's bigger than being a nice guy that you're going to say I'm a mean guy because I do. So if my understanding of your relating to me as being a nice guy is my motivation, then I'm going to compromise some things. Because I can't be all the way where Christ wants me to be and be a nice guy to the rest of the world. Because some stuff that we are, they don't like. Because we have to be the same type of people because of who we are and our relationship to God and our love for the truth that we have to tell people you wrong and you going to hell while at the same time loving people. They can't figure that out. You gotta be one or the other. I can't imagine how many times folks find out that I'm a Christian and they be like, man, you one of them? And I have to say, yeah. (laughs) But then they say, you ain't one of them. Because they done pigeonhole folks. Either you wanted them the ones that condemn everybody and hate everybody and want to blow up abortion clinics, or you wanted them the one that say everything, okay, God love, and we just all about love. And I just say, yes, I'm one of them. <laughs> no, I'm not the one that to blow up the abortion clinic. And no, I'm not the one that finna just kick you around and put you down. But I'm, I'm the one that gonna tell you it's wrong. And I'm also the one that gonna tell you I love you. Because I got to be both of them. But if my whole motivation is the fact that I can be a nice guy and people look at me right in a well-pleasing way, I can't be both of them. Because the minute I open up my mouth and tell you, you need to repent. Oh, what you judging me for? I
0: can't be that. I can't travel the circuit.
1: So that can't be my motivation for being a preacher. I cannot. Because if that's my motivation, I will fail. Because I can't sit too long on the stage with a man proclaiming to be the word of a man of God and preaching the word of God. And I know he got about four, five, wives. And he raised them up and knock them down. Raise them up, knock them down. But he preaching like a mug. you a divorced man. And if I be faithful to who I am, I will get up there behind him and say, God hates divorce. <laughs> that's the only way i can be who i am well that's who i am i'm a person that believe that all the bible is true are y'all understanding what i'm saying so if our motivation is anything other than being what god has created us to be it will put us in a position of compromise Because we have to seek that thing, but we ain't seeking nothing. We ain't seeking the world's approval. We ain't seeking acceptance of men. We ain't seeking fame and success here on this earth. We seeking Christ, cause that's where our life at. And all the things on this world that feel good, that seem good, we don't want that stuff. Because what? We dead. And like the good apostle Jay said, when you go to the funeral and you see the dead man laying in the casket, if you thump him on his nose, he ain't going to move. If you
0: spit in his face, he ain't going to move. No matter what you do to him, he ain't going to move.
1: In the good funeral home, make sure he ain't going to move. They put the little thing over his eyes so his eyes don't open up. They get a thread and they sew his mouth together so that don't pop over. They make sure he don't move. They drain all the blood, which is the life of the flesh, out the body to make sure he don't move, because they want him to be showing up dead.
0: And if that dead man was to move, even if you recognize that he's still
1: dead, it's gonna look a little strange to you. If you walk by that casket and the eyes just popped open. <laughs> it would end your life because you wouldn't know what to do if you reach down and kiss your uncle whoever was his mouth pop open <laughs> you wouldn't know what to do even if you look back and realize he's still dead y'all but his mouth open that'll freak you out because in your mind dead means he ain't supposed to move <laughs> And no matter how scientifically in depth you are, if that arm was to pop up like this, you can say, well, nerves still live for certain <laughs> No, that wouldn't make no sense to you. <laughs> you see, the brain is still active after that. You know. Couldn't nobody explain that away to you? You'll still be scared, and you probably won't want to go to another funeral. <laughs> You're like, like, that ain't supposed to happen. And the amazing thing is, that's how we supposed to be. When this world around us doing what it do, there's certain things that we ain't supposed to move, cause that ain't who we are. We
0: dead,
1: and that's why we look strange to them, because they get this idea of Christianity and you, the church folk. Now they cuss all day, and they're gonna tell you ain't nothing wrong with cussing. But once you got a testimony of Jesus Christ, and you cuss, they're gonna look at you funny. Because you ain't supposed to move. Now they going to tell you how they understand. There ain't no such thing to turn the other cheek and all that stuff. I don't know where y'all get that from. There ain't no punk. But the minute somebody go off on you and you go all back, they're going to look at you strange. Because you ain't supposed to move. You can understand the biology of it, but that don't explain it the way because it ain't supposed to be like that. They can understand that this made you real mad and you're supposed to be real mad. They can understand that. But they're still going to look at you funny because you ain't supposed to move.
0: Y'all understand what I'm saying? Because we dead. So that's what we seek. The
1: same stuff that dead men seek on this planet. Nothing. Our life is hid with Christ. So when the church folk tell you you're so heavenly minded that you ain't no earthly good, that's a lie. Because the only people who are truly earthly good are the ones who are truly heavenly minded. Because we the only ones that can see life right to do right. We the only ones that can truly have pure compassion for people because we understand and know what's really going on. But if all you can see is what down here, you don't see nothing. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? But the thing that. Causes us to be
0: is who we are. Now look at one more. Look at, look at one more. We, we, we go a lot of different places with it, but watch watch this. First John. First John chapter five.
1: First John chapter five, verse four. Said, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So the overcomers are the second-borners. So everybody who's been born twice overcomes the world. Y'all get that. So if you want to overcome the world. What you have to be. Born again.
0: Y'all. Do you see it? The
1: world is full of evil. The world is full of darkness. The world is full of temptation. But you can defeat it by simply doing what? Being born again. That's all you got to do. Now
0: that makes for a very short book preacher man can't get too many sales off that because we ain't got no seven keys seven keys to unlocking victory over the world we ain't got none of that the
1: hidden secret to being an overcomer we ain't got none of that because there ain't too many tactics you can pull off if you get this one tactic right you win like when I was little. We got uh the Nintendo. Now we were one of the very few people in Cedar Park with the Nintendo. Now I have to paint the picture for you. Now we live in Cedar Park. This is the late 80s, early 90s. We got the Nintendo. It's the hot thing popping. Ain't too many people in the hood got the Nintendo. Now in our apartments, there was absolutely no air conditioning. None whatsoever. We in Alabama in the summertime with the high humidity, hundred and some degrees, but about 10 to 20 of us huddled up in a little room playing the Nintendo. Mama coming in there complaining about how stank it is. <laughs> Cause there ain't no ventilation whatsoever. Cause there ain't no wind blowing. We in Alabama in the summertime. It's just hot heat. Not just heat, but hot heat. <laughs> that sweltering type stuff that you sweat if you just put your toe out the door you start sweating that's what we got going on and all of us in the huddle up playing the Nintendo and we got Tecmo Bowl in the thing now the crazy thing about Tecmo Bowl is it used to create fights cause there's only like one or two teams you can get and if you got these couple teams you like almost guaranteed a victory because this is the first time Nintendo tried to do actual real sports with real teams and real players. Tecmo Super Bowl. Now, if you got Joe Montana, he could throw that thing a mile. Him or John Elway. But there was this one play that used to almost start a fight. And you wanted to be the first one on the stick so you can get Bo Jackson. Because the men ran like this. See <laughs> how they run on that thing. And it's all pixelated, so sometimes you get too much moving the screen, get the blanking on you and all that t- type of stuff. But Bo Jackson had the sweep, and he was the fastest thing on the game. So if you can get Bo Jackson with the sweep, you almost guaranteed a touchdown. Because can't nobody catch Bo. He's the only one that almost
0: runs. So if you want to win Techno Bowl,
1: get Bo Jackson, And do the sweep. And what that creates is a frustrated room full of people. Call people saying you cheating. People saying you can't pick that team. Because the people who made Tecmo Bowl was not equal in the way that they created Bo Jackson. It made Bo a superstar in the hood. Everybody think it's the Bo Nose commercials that made. No, it was Tecmo Bowl that made made Bo a star. Bo Nose had nothing to do with that because you can win all the games
0: so what I'm saying is we
1: got the same thing a little bit better because so like nowadays children play the game you got to learn spreads and you got to learn defenses and offenses and audibles they, they a 100 buttons before they even set hype. like no man you got A and B in the directional pad you pick it you match the button and both gonna score a touchdown. Just that simple. Pick the play, mash the button, both score a touchdown. And what we have done is we done played Madden with our Christianity. Cause Madden, you gotta mash all them little buttons. You just sitting out for days and, and people, they, they print out books this big to sell with the game. And folks go buy this, like the study guy. They tell you about spread defenses and what player. I mean, this is too deep. Nah, I ain't getting paid no money for this. Game already cost $60. Now you want to spend $20 on a guy to play the game. Take my bowl. It's the Christianity that I want. You give the bowl and he going to scope. And all I'm telling you, if you want to overcome the world, you want to be victorious in this hot human thing that we call the world. Because it's just like that little room we was in. It's dark. It's hot and it's very uncomfortable to be a Christian in this world. But in the midst of that hot, dark, uncomfortable room, I knew how to win. Get a ball to bowl, And all we got to do is get a ball to Jesus. Be born again. Because once you're born again, you overcome. You say, well, I'm not that disciplined. That's all right. Born again can fix that. You say, I'm not that smart. That's okay. Born again can fix that. You say, well, I don't know too much about, do I supposed to do this and do, should I do that? Is this okay? You ain't got to worry about all that. Born again can fix that. You say, I grew up in the Episcopalian church and we did, that's alright. Born again can fix that. No matter where you come from, no matter what your situation is, no matter how the world got you beat and got you beat down. You say I've been traumatized. I've been through a lot of my life. You don't understand the pain and the hurt that I got going through. Born again can fix that. Born again is all you need to do is overcome the world. That's all you need. You don't got to figure out whether or not you were born that way, whether or not it's natural, not whether or not it's a societal thing that been put upon me. You ain't got to figure all that out. It don't make no difference. Born again can fix it. So I've been feeling this way all my, it's alright. It don't matter. Get born again. And if you get born again, you get to be an overcomer. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Because if you get born again, you get to be recreated into the thing that you were initially designed to be, and that's the image of God. Now watch this, we'll end with this fun little thing, because I asked you the question, what Christ had to do with that thing? Paul talking about, what the relationship between Christ and Ba watch was it? Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter
0: twenty three. Jeremiah chapter twenty three verse five.
1: Watch this. <clears throat> it said Behold, the days come, said the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. A king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, this is talking about God raising up a branch, raising up a king, raising up a righteous one to sit on the throne of David. It's like in verse six. He said, this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness y'all deep folks church folk, Jehovah's sick at new that's what they be telling you so when you hear them church folks saying that that's what they talking about the Lord our righteousness that's what he's going to be called so the Messiah that's to come the king that's going to rule that's going to restore peace to Jerusalem that's going to sit on the throne of David that's going to save Judah his name is the Lord our righteousness go to Jeremiah 33 Jeremiah thirty three verse fifteen. So in those days, at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. Now hold up. You pay close attention. We got a problem. Because he's talking about a coming king that's going to sit on the throne. Seems like the same thing he said in chapter 23, correct? But in chapter 23 he said he, referring back to the king, is going to be called the Lord our righteousness. Now he says she going to be called the Lord our righteousness. And the way we read it, it seems like he's referring to the city. So the city is going to be the Lord our righteousness. And the thing, in the picture is is that once a king takes dominion Over an area. There's agreement. And a lack of separation between. A king and his kingdom. And there's unity for us. When it comes to As it is with Messiah. So it is with us. Since Messiah is the Lord our righteousness. We get to be. The righteousness of God. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So that's how the city can be named after the name of God because we bear the name of our maker. We bear the name of him who has called us. So there's a unity of identity between us and him. So when Paul is talking about Christ, ain't got no agreement with that because in the mind of Paul, you are in Christ. So wherever you is, Christ is. Then your activities are Christ's activities because Christ dwells in you and you and him and there's a unity there. So we get to be the righteousness of God because Christ is the righteousness of God. Like I said, we read in Ephesians and say, you are light. But if you read the Gospel of John, Jesus is what? The light of the world. How are he the light and I'm the light? Both of us can't be the light. Yes, you can. Because he is in me, makes me light. Him being in me creates light within me. So I get to be the light because he is the light. I get to be righteousness because he is righteous. I get to be holy because he is and he dwells in me. There's a unity that comes forth. That's why he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Because he is the image of God. We were created after the image of God. So we are small representations of who he is. So there's a unity of identity because we were made after him. There's a oneness. We bear his name.
0: We get to be like him.
1: Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And uh, I think it's Ephesians. Maybe Colossians was talking about Christ being exalted to have dominion over all principalities, all powers. And he said, so therefore he put him to be the head of the church. Hold up. He made him the head of the church so he can have dominion? So if he made him the head of the church so he can have dominion, that means the church has what? Dominion. Because if him being on top of the church put him on top of everything else, that means the church is on top of everything else. Because where he is, we participate in. Ephesians talks about our minds, the eyes of our understanding being opened so we can understand our inheritance in him. But it also says in his inheritance in us. Because there's a unity in the work that God has done where he has connected you with King Messiah and you and King Messiah are brethren now. You're one. So all the blessings and the benefits and the goodness that flows to him flows to you because you and him are one. And that's why we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Who is the righteousness of God? Jesus. And when Jesus stepped on the scene, what did they say? The kingdom of God is at hand so if we get jesus we get everything else but we need to understand that once we get there once we're born again we're in jesus that's what we are and so that kills all our striving that kills all our our worry all our anxiety all our pressure and all that stuff because the only thing i need to get is jesus That's why Hebrews 13 can say we can lay aside every sin that don't easily beset us. How? Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. So all we need
0: to do is set our eyes on him. And as you set your eyes on him, all that other stuff fall off.
1: So you don't worry about how wicked you are. Jesus can fix that. All you do is believe in him and believe that what he said is true because he said he can make you righteous. So you don't got to worry about all your insecurities. You don't got to worry about all your frailties, all the things that make you weak. And you don't got to lie to yourself like some church folk tell
0: you. You got to say, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm
1: not afraid. You ain't got to do that. All you got to do is once you recognize that fear, you need to recognize that that ain't part of who you are. So you need to go back to the start. Because that fear is a part of being a part of this world. Or this is a scary and dangerous world.
0: But how do you overcome the world? Be born again.
1: So you just take that heart back. You go back. And never allow yourself to be content with any of your things. Because that's an excuse. All excuses have been taken away at the cross. They gone. Jesus ain't had them excuses and you get to be one with him. You understand what I'm saying? So all you need to do is understand that you're one with God and God is one with you and your life is hid in him and you are not your own. That kills worry. That kills anxiety. That kills depression and all that stuff. I ain't responsible for taking care of this life. God is.
0: So what if I can't figure it out?
1: God can. And even deeper than that, I can figure it out. How you got so much confidence that you can figure it out? Because I'm like God. And God is a wise God, all wise God. If I get to be like him, I get some wisdom. So I am a wise person because I got the mind of Christ. That's why I don't need no whole big old manual on how to raise kids. Not saying that any of that stuff is wrong. You can read it and you can learn from other believers in Christ. That's fine. But you don't need it. Because God has the ability to give you what you need. Say, if any man lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. How you know he going to give it to you? Because you in him. He in you. And everything he got access to, you got access to. Because you got access to him. So all we need to do is understand that as it is with Prince Messiah, so it is with us. That's why we can say all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. because we get to be one with him and we get to share in that and that is our identity so that's why we can walk around with our head up high because I need to see myself as Christ me, understand me and once I see myself rightly then I worry about all that other stuff but once I get that right all that other stuff fall into place so you ain't got to worry about stressing yourself and say I ain't did that and I ain't started that I ain't started that okay you didn't that's fine get Jesus right first Then you can worry about all that other stuff. But if you get Jesus right, all that other stuff will fall into play because he'll give you the wisdom and the understanding the drive, the devotion and all the things that you need to pull it off. All you're doing is walking with him because that's where your life is. That's what your identity is. Not in your job. Not in the clothes you wear, the car you drive, your address, zip code. None of that stuff makes you who you are. Your relationship with God gives you your identity. That's the sum total of it. Anybody got any questions?
0: First of all, what is, I I don't know how to say, Belial, Belial? Belial. Yeah, that. That's a devil or a
1: demon. Okay.
0: That
2: makes sense. Um, So the not partaking thing, I get that, like, if someone's doing a thing that God says not to do, don't do it. But, like. What is the extent of it? Like, if I have a friend that's like moving in with their girlfriend and they ask me to help them move in, do I abstain from that too? Because that's like being complicit or like.
0: That's like you being a Christian
1: and you need to know that. Okay. Because whatever's not done out of faith, Romans 14 tells us it's sin. So if there's angst in you, you don't do. Because if you can't do it with full love and full conviction that you are truly being a loving follower of Jesus Christ, showing them the way and demonstrating truth, you shouldn't do it. Okay.
0: Romans 14. Whatever is not done of faith or whatever is not done of conviction is sin. Okay.
1: It makes sense? Mm-hmm. I ain't gonna give you no answer because it ain't about the rules and the don'ts. It's about being real. I feel that. Um. So you were talking
2: about the flesh and the spirit, mm-hmm. and I've heard a lot of preachers say, you know, that you're always gonna have your flesh, you know, with you, and I guess quoting like Galatians five about the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and they two are contrary to one another.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um. So. But then, you know, in Romans, it talks about us through the spirit mortifying the deeds of our flesh. And of course, not walking in our flesh, but walking in the spirit. But I guess my question is, will you always have the flesh there? Or at some point, like, I don't know. Or at some point, do you, um, do you crucify your flesh to where it's like you were talking about completely dead?
1: So you're just constantly walking in the spirit. I think that the confusion comes in where we lump
0: temptation in with
1: manifestation of flesh. Now, you will always have your flesh in the sense that you will always have a body. That we we honor God with our body. So in that sense, yes, you will always have your flesh. But in the sense that we will always have this... Nature and its power that has the ability to drive us and to control us. The Bible don't show us that. It shows us that we have the power to overcome that. It shows us that we can put it to death. It shows us that we can make it be in subjection to us. All those other things. It don't tell us this, this idea that this flesh will always have this power to drive us, to move us. We don't see that in the Bible. But where the confusion comes in is people feel tempted. And you automatically equate temptation with failure. That's where a lot of people come in. So as people grow, a lot of times, sometimes you're in temptation increase. One, because you reach into a place where you're more effective. And you have more pulling at you. Because we do live in a a world that has true spiritual battles like I said the spiritual realm is real and there's enemies that attack us That enemies want to see us fall and destroyed and we ain't talking about people who put bad stuff on you at Facebook there's real demons and principalities out there roaring against our families roaring against our children all of that stuff is real so temptation is real and the war that goes on in your mind is real but just because it's real doesn't mean that it's you And that's the power of sin and deception. Because once the tempter comes and he begins to draw you and he begins to plant things in your mind, the immediate thought we have is, woe is me, that's who I am, I feel that way. And what we see in the scripture is that we resist, according to James, we cast down, according to Paul. We don't try to decipher. Because deciphering is putting you into a place where you're not resisting. Cause what what I mean by that. So let's just say you get a crazy thought. You walk into the store. Let's do something simple. Everybody can relate to. Uh, you walk into the store. Ain't nobody at the register. The bell rings. Don't nobody come out. You walk around the store for ten, fifteen minutes. Don't nobody come out and show it. You just in there. And the thought pop into your head. I can take all these
0: folks' stuff. That's the thought. That is a form of temptation.
1: You just walking up out of here with everything you want because ain't nobody even in here. That's temptation. Now, with that one, it's easy because most of us ain't no thieves no more. So it's something you just pop in your head like, man, they need to get some folks in here. They need to start paying attention to the store. <laughs> they easy easily get stoked. And that's where the thought takes you. Now for a thief, that's a short enough tough spot. He get to calculate. Yeah, like (laughs) shoo. He gets to calculate. All it was was a thought. But the thought connected to something in him that enticed him. Now the thing that you don't have to do is try to decipher. Did I have that thought or did the devil put that thought in my mind? It don't make no difference. It's something that for you in your position, you easily cast down. Because that thought makes you think that they need to put somebody in here. Hey, man, y'all need to have somebody watching it flow. Yeah, all y'all stuff can get stole. That's where the thought leads you. But if fever is in your heart, that thought leads you to, Oh, man, I'm saying they got them jeans right there. <laughs> I'm saying, man, they got them things. $80. Get me about 10 pounds right now. Won't nobody
0: even know it. Temptation—that's all it
1: is. But the struggle for us is to resist, to cast down. So this idea that I'm always going to be in this flesh, and this flesh always going to dominate, or it's always just going to be driving me around, and I'm just going to be having to fight it all the time—the Bible don't really teach that. That we mortify the deeds, so we put it to death by resisting and casting down. Now, there as we grow, the connection and the relation change. You get to that place where at one point in time you was in that store and then it just showed up, your palm get to sweat because you just showing up thinking like you finna steal everything. To the point where you don't need to like, you just blow on about your mind. And you might go lock the door for them. Like, hey man, where y'all at? Somebody need to come. Because it changes. So in that sense, yeah, the flesh is always there because you still got a body and the desire to have stuff as easily as possible is there. But the desire to have something as easily as possible is not necessarily the quote-unquote sin nature. You, you get what I'm saying? So the, the flesh always being there don't mean that we always going to have that one sin that we fall to or that one thing that always trips us up. No, it just means mean that we're going to have desires and we have the ability to be tempted. But temptation changes and temptation ain't always temptation. And another deep thing aside point, devil don't know everything. He's a creative being just like you. So what he doing? He casting out thoughts. Splashing stuff against the wall. He's studying you. And even deeper than that, he ain't even doing it. Because the devil's just one little created being just like you. So most folks be lying. they talking about the devil really after me. I know. Like, I said, read the book of Job. Said, the devil was going to and fro. He wanted to hear well. he he traveling just like you travel demons and all that stuff yeah that stuff real but flesh dominating and you got two natures that's always going to be at war that's a lie that makes a little sense I'm I'm sorry I rambled I pulled a J (laughs) go ahead anybody else got a question
2: when it says God created man in his own image does that mean we look like God
1: yeah we supposed to, that's what we were created for.
2: How can God be holy if holy means set apart for God? huh? How can God be holy if holy means set apart for God?
1: Holy simply means to be set apart to be distinct, and God is the only one that is truly holy cause there ain't nothing like him, so he dwells alone on high in majesty if
0: your body
2: Dies before God comes back. Will you go straight to heaven?
1: If your body dies before God comes back. Yeah the apostle Jay. Touched on this Wednesday. should have been paying attention. Stop doing homework. (laughs) (laughs) But. We see from the parable in Luke. That when Lazarus died. It says. He immediately went into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man. Opened up his eyes in hell. So gleaning from that. We believe that. Once you die, you're going to go to be wherever you're going to go to be. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he had the idea. As soon as he left his body, he was going to be with Jesus. <clears throat> so for a believer, once you die, you are exiting this world and enter into the glory, the joy of the Lord. Why doesn't God want you to have tattoos to honor
2: dead people?
0: Uh-huh.
2: Why doesn't God want you to have tattoos to honor dead
1: people? Why doesn't he want you to have tattoos to honor dead people? Now you're going back to the old law. Now the, the original reason God gave that law was for multiple reasons. One, all honor and glory be unto God. And in those times, in those days, ancestral worship was a big deal. And also... God was training his people to be distinct, to be separate from the nations in which they were going into. Over and over again, he said, you can't do this. You can't do that because you're supposed to be holy unto the Lord. Don't worship me the way that they worship their gods. Don't copy the stuff that they that they do. <clears throat> so God restricted a lot of things for his people just because it was just the stuff that everybody else did. So that's part of the reasons why you can't. He told them not to have no tattoos under the dead. One, because of the false worship system that it was under and two because him drawing a distinction between his people and the rest of the people now we get spiritual benefits and spiritual things from that <clears throat> from saying that the way that we use our body is in honor of God and that the way that we live and interact in this world is to be separate from the rest of the world we don't do what we do just because of everybody else doing it you, you get what I'm saying so if you can't if I ask you why And your answer is, it's the style, it's what everybody else do, you wrong. Because we live our lives based on what is real, what is right, and what is true, not on the trends and the fashions of the world.
2: Didn't Jesus hang out with sinners like Judas?
1: Didn't he hang out with sinners like Judas? Yes, Judas was with him. Yes, Jesus hung out with sinners, but Jesus never partook with sinners. What he mean by that is, when Jesus hung out with sinners, Jesus was doing what Jesus did, and not what sinners do. So you ain't got no time where you see Jesus at the false temple with the Samaritans, like he's saying, because I'm trying to reach them. Jesus don't do that. When you're talking to the Samaritan woman, they were just chilling at the well, not at the Place where they worshipped the fake cow, where actually that was gone at that time. But Jesus hung out with sinners on His terms and in His way, not on theirs.
2: Is it possible for a Christian to have PTSD?
1: PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Is it possible for them to have it? Yes, it's possible for them to have it. It depends on what you mean by that. For us to go through something that that traumatizes us and shakes us up, that's possible to happen. But with Christ and with the joy and with the peace that he gives, we have the power to overcome it. Because PTSD is a reminder, it's fear, and it's a spirit of fear that overwhelms and overcomes people. But we have the spirit of Christ inside us that gives us the power to overcome those fears and overcome those terrors. So, yeah, is it possible that you can go through something that shake you up so bad that you messed up? Yeah, that's possible but don't think because I got PTSD means I'm stuck with this and I have to learn how to live with it. No, God can heal. God is a healer. He's real. His peace, his joy, and his power is real. So no matter what we go through, we can overcome it. That's it.
0: All yours Apostle.